This is the Skin in the Game VC podcast, hosted by Tom Wallace, entrepreneur turned venture capitalist and the managing partner at Florida Funders, along with Saxon Baum, general partner and head of investor relations at Florida Funders. You'll learn from the best about investing in early stage tech companies, so you too can gain the confidence and find the tools that help you succeed as an angel investor. Are you ready to get some skin in the game? Welcome. Hello, my name's Tom Wallace, and I am the managing partner of Florida Funders. I'm here with Saxon Baum, my other partner at Florida Funders. How's everybody doing? Happy to be here this morning, Tom. Great to see you as always. Yeah, happy Halloween. Day late, November <laughs> 1st, actually. Hope you had a lot of tricks and treats last night. Uh, we have an exciting guest we're going to introduce here very shortly. Got a lot to talk about. Um, you know, just for those of you who may be new to the pod, we focus on really venture capital everything in the early stage tech community, founders, other venture capitalists, other investors. And uh, it's all about learning. You know, one thing that's great about being in tech, there's always something new. There's always somebody to learn from. There's always somebody smarter in the room. So that's what Skin in the Game is about. The reason we call it Skin in the Game is because at Florida Funders, uh, we not only invest our investors' money, we invest our own money alongside it. So that's where the Skin in the Game comes from. So with that, Sax, what do you got? Yeah, just some high-level tech highlights. And, you know, I mentioned this <laughs> right before the pod. You're probably not too fond of this, but uh, WeWork filing for bankruptcy. And uh, Yeah, I'm not I, too fond of it because I'm actually a stockholder. <laughs> full disclosure, actually a stockholder. So I guess the We Crash really, <laughs> really did come to life here. I mean, it's crazy. This was one of the highest-flying companies in the world for years. And uh, if you haven't watched We Crash, the – the docu series. It's not a documentary, but it's a, a TV series. Uh, it's it's fabulous, and I would encourage you to watch it. It talks a little bit about that. But but what do you think there? Well, Adam Newman made a lot of money, but I don't know if anybody else did. He's the founder. Um, I I feel like I'm in good company in losing money on this investment because Masa's son, SoftBank, I think lost twelve billion. So, <laughs> and he's a lot lot smarter guy than I am. I'm sure. So. You know, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's all, you know, it was part of that heyday. I remember an interview with um, with Bert, with Bill Gurley, who's the managing partner of Benchmark, and they were the the early venture capital funders of WeWork. And he said, um, he heard Adam Newman's pitch, and he said, you know, we don't really invest. This is a real estate company, not a technology company, and we don't really invest in real estate tech, real estate companies, but... Adam Newman's such a great sales guy. The guy could sell anything to anybody. We're going to do this investment. And I think that sums it up. It really was a real estate play all along. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is the, you know, the, the COVID situation, people working remotely, more people working virtually. I don't think this is the end of the fallout of commercial real estate. Uh, I think that game has changed for the long run, at least in the United States. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, I think rates probably have something to do with this as well. You sure. know, they were out buying a lot of real estate being WeWork. The rate environment has increased substantially. And so I don't think that that helped any of the leases that they held or the buildings that they owned by any means. So you know what they say, another one bites the dust. But I know Adam Newman is on to his next <laughs> latest and greatest thing. And I believe Andreessen actually backed him. So, uh, so I, I guess think we'll Benchmark see. might have too. I mean, oh, and so he really is the, the, the best salesman on the planet, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, moving on, I thought we could talk a little bit about EVs because it looks like the unions have now settled with um, General Motors and Ford are very close to that. 
I thought it was interesting, some tidbits on that. And then also, uh, Tesla is coming out with their truck, yep. which they think they can do 200,000 units of next year, which I, I find kind of interesting. Um, when I look at the EV market, I'm still, I go back to this where, you know, no, the incumbents never make the move to the next generation of technology. They usually get left behind. You can use the newspaper industry, magazines. You can use the computer industry itself and mainframes and minis and all that. Um, I really wonder with, I think the average wage of, of Ford or a GM worker is about 60, 65 an hour before this contract. And it's much, I think they got 30, 40% more. Yeah. So. And the average Tesla worker is making like 45 an hour. So it really makes me wonder how competitive they're going to be. Um, there was an interview with the CEO of Ford, and he was talking about the union, and the union was saying, you know, they're fighting with management. And he's like, our enemy is not the union. There are partners in this, and I'm not sure the union looks at it that way. And our enemy is Tesla and Hyundai and these Chinese. Rivian and Yeah, these Chinese manufacturers yeah. and Rivian. So I think that'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out and, and going forward. Yeah, and, I you know, I, as I said before, I'm not following it as closely as you, but it's, it's good to hear they came to a deal because I knew that there was a serious situation happening there. I am reading Elon's book right now, and to hear his vision back in the early 2000s talking about uh, a gasless world and a, a battery-fueled world with EVs is just amazing. And to now see where the company is and, you know, every few cars that you see, especially in Tampa, I mean, every few cars you see are a Tesla. So it's really been interesting to read where his mind was, you know, just 15 years ago compared to now and, and the progress that that company has made. And then going against, to your point, these, these giants that have been in the industry forever, who's going to win? I mean, I think Tesla probably has a serious leg up right now in terms of innovation technology and in, in time of doing this. But can they catch up? You know, I think they're trying to make that push. Well, it's more than that. They've got this whole network, too. Yeah, absolutely. The charging uh, network is is second. I read a lot of business insight. I like that news, that blog. And and they were the one that one of the writers went and used the he took a Ford Mustang uh, EV, uh, Hyundai and a Tesla and kind of did a road cross country thing. Anyway, he said the big problem with the Ford and Hyundai was getting charging stations where it wasn't a problem with the you know, the Tesla. So they have a big leg up there. It'll be interesting to see. This truck I'm very dubious about. I just don't think the average truck owner is interested in driving a truck that looks like a something that should be on, on, on Mars. or Coming something. out of a sci-fi movie. Yeah. yeah. I, that's the part, I think, on the marketing side. I think he's... he's I could be wrong. Or, wrong you, or do you bit. convert people like you and I to, to get pickup trucks? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. If I get a pickup truck, I want one that looks like a... So, you know, I'm going to go out and, you know, hunt game in it or something. <laughs> but anyway, yes. all right, well, let's get started with uh, with our guest. Um, you know, why don't you kick us off here? Yeah, so, absolutely. So. No, we're, we're so excited to have our guest today, David Goldberg, partner at Alpaca Ventures. Dave and I have got to know each other over the last several years since he made the move from New York to Miami. I know he's going back and forth a little bit, but David, welcome on the pod. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, what you're working on? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm excited uh, to chat all things tech and innovation in Miami. My quick background, uh, I have been an entrepreneur and investor now for about 15 years, the last decade as an investor at a firm called Alpaca. I'm sure we'll get into uh, some of the details about that firm. And I moved down here to Miami about three years ago, where I continued to invest in mostly consumer software marketplaces and Web3. Great. And there's you just talked about three things that we want to hit on. 
Um, let's start with, I think, the first question, Alpaca. Very unique name, very unique branding. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys came up with that name? Were you a part of that? Uh, and, and really, has having a unique name like that behooved you, or has it been a, a challenge with a name like that? Yeah, uh, it's been an interesting topic for a couple of years. So one, I take very little credit. Our uh, At the time, our newest partner, Aubrey Pagano, who has a much keener and smarter eye for branding. When she joined us, she gave us some feedback on our original name, which was Corrigin Ventures, as we spun out of my partner's operating company, which is a real estate company called Corrigin. Um, and we just thought we needed something that really told our story. And as we do a lot of consumer investing, we wanted a brand that spoke to founders and consumers, less so to the institutional finance world, right? We didn't want anything with a rock or a tree uh, <laughs> on, on, on the backs of it. And so number one, like something friendly and memorable. It sounds like we were successful in that. The story behind Alpaca is, you know, they are both a working animal and a companion who is there for the ups and downs of the journey. Um, so we we also try not to take ourselves too seriously. I have a friend that is down in South America right now, and he he, this is John Katz yeah. and, and uh, former partner, and he just had he just texted me the other day. He had an alpaca steak, and it was the best steak he ever had in his life. <laughs> That's a new one for me. You'd be amazed, or maybe not, uh, how many alpaca stories we get. Uh, <laughs> eating them is a new one for me. Do you guys have a live alpaca in the office? Is that is that a part? We of do the not. At at the moment, we've done some photo shoots uh, at some alpaca farms and at my partner's house where we brought in some alpacas. Uh, we've definitely had some fun. The The phrase that we talk about is that for every IPO, we actually send an alpaca to the moon on a rocket ship. <laughs> I love that. And and you talked about branding. This is something I think your firm does an unbelievable job in, whether it's the newsletter that you guys send out or it's the uh, quarterly updates that you send out around companies in your portfolio that are trying to raise money. Uh, Branding is is clearly front of mind for for you guys. Can you talk about branding and and the differentiation that's a, that has played for you and and how that's been effective? Sure. So yes, like as a former entrepreneur of a consumer facing company, like I believe pretty strongly in branding. Venture dollars can be called a commodity by many, right? And so it's all about being top of mind. And so for us, branding has two components. Right, one is obviously like the digital and the visual that you guys are talking about with Alpaca, the more important type of marketing for us and branding is really around content and expertise, right? So for us, it's our blog, it's our field studies, it's doing stuff like this and really telling the market what we stand for, what we believe in, and then ultimately what we're investing in. Yeah. And, and what was your consumer product, David? What was what was the background in the consumer side? I, uh, I started a company called Freshneck. Uh, which was a men's apparel subscription rental company, similar to what Rent the Runway is doing today. We were doing about a dozen years ago, starting with men's accessories and then ultimately men's watches and sunglasses and some clothing. Interesting. And there was obviously a technology component to that. Yeah, I mean, so this was all done through e-commerce and logistics. And this was back in the day when there was no kind of off-the-shelf software. So we had to build everything from a reverse logistics to a CRM system uh, all internally. And how did you make the jump on into the, the VC side? Yeah, to be honest, when I built that company, I didn't know much about technology or venture capital. I was just an entrepreneur at heart and solved a problem that I saw existed out there through building that company. And I was in the New York tech ecosystem back then, which is still pretty small, just 
learned a lot about this world and fell in love with entrepreneurship and early stage technologies. When I ultimately sold that company, fast forwarding about a year, I was hooked up with my now original partner, Ryan Friedman, and also a very successful entrepreneur. And we just aligned on kind of joint values and the opportunity to really partner with the earliest stage entrepreneurs and helping them get from zero to one. Uh, if you look at, you know, you're saying the venture capital commodity uh, and, you know, most venture capital firms have something they do differently and, you know, how they how they approach investing in startups. What What is the focus of Alpaca? Sure. I'd say there's two pillars that we we hang our hat on. One is we're now four general partners, each of whom have successfully sat in that founder seat. And so we think that gives you know, advantages and networks and empathy and real value add and getting from zero to one. The other thing is more process oriented, right? So as much as we we champion our own networks, we think most VCs have pretty amazing networks. So for us, it's through a process that we call the, the field study program. So it's a very research and thematic driven process where we go super deep every 90 days into a subsector where we get to know everyone, landscape the market, do a ton of research, build out a framework, and then we market uh, to both founders and investors like what we believe in and the frameworks we build, which creates a bit of this magnetic pull of deal flow. And what are those segments that you like to focus on? Or have focus so on? each of the partners has their own sector of interest that mostly comes from the companies that we've built you know, over the last 15 years. So for me specifically, I do a lot of consumer software and marketplaces. Uh, some of my partners do a lot of real estate technology as well as e-commerce infrastructure. And and building on the real estate piece, first off, congratulations. want you to talk about the closing of the new core fund technology fund, but also you guys now are actually having, actually have a traditional real estate fund as well, correct? That's right. And so my original partner, Ryan Friedman, you know, probably 20 years or so experience in real estate up and down the stack from, you know, development, property management, uh, a bunch on the capital side. He was an early builder and buyer of software in that space before like the word prop tech was even really a thing. Part of what we've historically done as venture investors in the prop tech world is introduce them to uh, a variety of capital sources, right? I heard you guys talking earlier about WeWork, obvious, interesting use case that probably wasn't the best use of like billions of dollars of equity venture capital to go into that business, right? It's more of a real estate business. And so we have now created a vehicle with our uh, limited partners uh, where we can both provide venture dollars as well as traditional real estate dollars so we can be the right partner for a variety of situations to invest both in opcos as well as propcos oftentimes synergistically together. And is it a lot of LP crossover between the the two funds? So that fund is just going out to market now. Uh, the basic sole LP is our anchor, who is also the anchor of our traditional venture fund. My guess is beyond that, there will be some divergence in the LP base, a little bit more strategic on the real estate side, as well as family offices who are investing historically also in real estate as an asset class. So is this real estate fund pure real estate or is it also real estate tech and prop tech and all that? It, so that will be pure real estate. We call it like innovation adjacent real estate. So maybe it's investing in like build to rent communities, co-working, co-living, ghost kitchens, right? Thing that are like one step outside of traditional, you know, office buildings and multifamily, but it looks and feels a little bit more like traditional real estate, but with more equity-like returns because there's a little bit more perceived risk there. 
So I'm kind of curious, since we were talking earlier about WeWork, how do you guys see the commercial real estate market over the next few years and going forward? How do you look at that? I'm probably not the expert to talk on that. I would either speak to, you know, Ryan or Daniel, who do most of our prop tech investing, or our new partners, Daniel and Peter, who are underwriting the traditional real estate. I think, though, we think similar to you, like we are still in the early or at least mid stages of really seeing change there, right? Consumer behaviors, as well as a lot of the financial things that happen behind the scenes uh, are rapidly, rapidly shifting. And everybody is rethinking kind of best use of those asset classes. Well, it's so topical right now, whether you see it, Google, Apple, I mean, all these companies are having trouble getting yeah. their getting their, their employees to come back to the office full time. Nobody wants to work in an office five days a week anymore. Yeah. And, I, I get uh, it. I'm sitting in a shared space where I probably come in three days a week. Uh, we have about 12 people in this office. You can tell my door is open behind me because there's not one other person. <laughs> here right now. Uh, so it's a, it's also, a ghost I, office. <laughs> it's a ghost office. I also sit on the board of a rapidly growing company. We led the seed round of a company called First Base that does remote work infrastructure. So think of the physical things that you need for remote work desks, chairs, monitor, monitors with all of the software that you need. You know, this company, since the pandemic has gone on to raise, you know, both a Series A and a Series B, they have pretty tremendous underlying data of how these hybrid companies continue to double down on remote work, uh, even though some people with some, some interesting interests uh, will try to spin it otherwise. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's interesting. And, and, and as an investor ourselves, I know that when we're looking at a company and they're totally virtual and the management team is spread across the country, maybe across the world, um, we don't we don't look terribly favorably on that. Um, we don't think everybody needs to be in the office every day, but we do like the idea of a core management team being in one place and meeting um, physically on a, on a, a fairly regular yeah. basis, like once a week. Um, but how do you look at, how do you look at that as an investor? I, I don't know if there is a better model. I think that a team needs to be very thoughtful and intentional about the model that is right for them, right? We talk about founder investor fit, product market fit. I think the experience of the management team, the stage of the business, maybe what they're building and how they're building it, I think needs to go into uh, that decision versus just like lifestyle, right? There are certainly advantages and disadvantages of each. And so just be really thoughtful of how that works. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I want to double click on the successful fundraise that you guys closed with the core technology fund. Um, for our audience, if you're not aware, this is a very hard time to fundraise and venture capital from an LP standpoint, uh, probably the hardest time in the last 20 years. You guys had a successful fundraise. Just want to talk a little bit about that. What was your your learnings there? Anything different than you did in the past? And um, how much did you raise? Too? Yeah, sorry. So our third fund uh, was a seventy eight million dollar vehicle. Our second fund was about half of that. So yeah, yeah we'd call it a successful yeah, raise. Absolutely. Yeah, congratulations. Congrats. Thank you. I, so successful though not easy. Uh, we extended out the raise. It probably took you know over a year. This went kind of through the bull then bear market. And so we were very fortunate to do our first close and have our anchor partners uh, kind of close before, you know, the proverbial, you know, what hit the fan. Um, so then it was a real grind after that. I think what made it easier, one, you know, first close, real institutional partners were grateful for their support. And two, like 
we know what we do really well and we sort of double down on that. So for 10 years, we've only done early stage investing, try not to get our funds too big, concentrated high ownership in the sectors that we do using that thematic research-driven approach. We've invested in our own infrastructure. Again, we're now four partners and a team of 10. We probably don't have the AUM to really support that. But just like we're investing in companies that invest in tech and infrastructure, we feel that that we should be doing the same. Yeah. And I think we feel the same way. I mean, based off our conversation yesterday, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, we feel, feel the exact same way. Uh, Did more- you have some, I just have a quick question on that. Did you have some early winners in your fund one that you could hold up to the, your LPs and tell us about what are your most successful companies coming out of your first? Yeah. Time? Yeah. I, I think that's fair to say. So, you know, we consider ourselves an emerging manager, even though it's crazy to think we're, we're on our 10th year of business, but like, you know, we're Still compared only fund to three. I mean, that's emerging. Our fund sure. three, I meant. Yeah. yeah, fund two. Yeah, and so our fund one, which is really like a 2014 to 2016 vintage, is starting to get baked out. You know, it's a it's an over three x TVPI. We've returned about one and a half x of that of actual distributions, which you know you guys know is is not so easy to do. Some yeah, of the early great. winners. We were first investors in Compass, the the real estate technology brokerage that went public. We're early investors in Latch, which is a a digital lock that went public via SPAC. Some other early winners uh, include Cashable, Zeal, Wheels Up, uh, and Class Wallet, which is a a local Miami company we're very proud of. I didn't realize you guys were in Class Wallet. We're in that company as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. I love Jamie. Yeah, that's ironically that's- when we invested, I didn't even realize they were a Miami-based company. Uh, and then I, I've gotten close with Jamie as we we're both down here now. That's great. So we share that share that investment in the portfolio. Yeah, we're very fond of Jamie and the team, and yeah, one of our one of our early winners as well. Definitely being cool. being Class Wallet. Uh, you know, one thing to to move on to the next topic. One thing that you and I over the years have really. Uh, talked a lot about is Web3. I know that this was a, a passion and may, might still be a passion of yours, specifically gaming, sports, some NFTs as well. Where do you see the Web3 market right now? would love to get your opinion on what you're seeing. Yeah, I'd say we experienced like what some of us have referred to as like the great reset. Like we thought that wave has crested and now it was all like hockey stick growth from there. And it was all about mass adoption. Like it was a false start. There weren't as many people in the space, or at least there weren't as many here who were interested in the the real things that Web3 brings. It was a lot of trading and speculation. And so I think we're a little bit back to first principles, building out infrastructure, onboarding, security. We are not yet in a place where even if the demand was there, that I think Web3 can handle it. And so we're still bullish on the principles, but I think we've probably moved that timeline out about two to three years. So we are casually still looking at the space and some real builders who are thinking of like early infrastructure, um, but we haven't done too much over the last year or so in some of the application layers. And are you guys continuing to invest in prior investments that you made in Web3 if those companies maybe aren't performing exactly how you thought they might be? Yeah, we're, we're open to it. Um, I'd say, right, like the capital markets across all startups has obviously shifted. I think you touched on that a little bit. In Web3, you also have this sort of phenomenon where a lot of the demand has gone away, right? Like a lot of the users were sort of tourist users. A lot of Web2 brands that put out these Web3 initiatives have kind of pulled back. So you have this double whammy of like the market has gotten smaller, revenues have gone down, 
and the capital markets have tightened up. So sure, if there's a company that has done everything they thought they did still in this market, that's actually pretty impressive. I'd say the majority, though, are falling short of that. Yeah. Tom, anything to add there? I mean, I know we're in a similar position, I feel. Yeah, I think we we look at it the same way that it's it's a restart or you know a refresh whatever we we do we do we don't think it's going away forever uh, and tend to think about it in your timeline. We compare a lot to the dot com and dot bust of two thousand that 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 year. It took a couple of years for after the dot com bust in two thousand for the you know the companies to make their way out. The real companies and a lot you know the vast majority of that weren't real companies went under and, and you kind of see web three the same way. Yeah. There will be survivors. There will be winners. Um, the ones that have real companies are solving a real problem and have a real product. So, yeah, and I think the infrastructure piece is interesting too. We share that as well. You know, picks and shovels being in a, being in a new industry uh, typically are the companies that, that will be winners and that will get through the, the tough times. The other thing I'd be curious is, you know, do you see artificial intelligence is really, you know, hitting everything. Do you see, the, is there an impact of artificial intelligence on these Web3 companies and some of your portfolio companies? Is, is that? I don't know if I'd see a, a direct line into the Web3 companies. Obviously, like AI is a huge buzzword right now. I think there were some very limited opportunities to invest like deep into the AI infrastructure later, layer, right? Like obviously like companies like OpenAI are game changing from, from both an innovation and a investment perspective. For us though, contrary to like the dozens of pitches we are seeing a week, we are not really looking to invest heavily inside that infrastructure. I think a lot of it is commoditized or built off of like other platforms like OpenAI and ChatGPT. We just think that you need to understand AI as an entrepreneur and as an investor, as it is going to touch every single sector, right? Just like in the early days of, let's say, cloud computing, sure, there was some interesting infrastructure there, but now every company needs to build that into their strategy of how they think about their tech stack, their headcount, um, and just how things get built. Yeah, good yeah. point. Uh, as we sit here in Tampa today, obviously being Florida funders, Tom, you've been in the ecosystem for 30 years. I've been here 10 plus years. We're huge fans of Florida and, you know, our name, our name shows that you're now sitting in Miami, originally from New York. What's the difference between the two ecosystems? Why did you decide to make the move from New York to Miami? Uh, what are you seeing difference from the two ecosystems? And is the When I started Alpaca, we started coming down here and like seeing what was what here. I think the the obvious takeaway was it was too early. With the pandemic, everything changed, right? You started to see um, real density of seasoned executives, founders, and investors moving down here. And you also started seeing, as we talked about before, this emergence of remote work. And so you didn't need, you know, 50-person companies and all of the engineers down here to start a company. Maybe you just needed capital uh, and really seasoned founders, which I st still think you have here. 
the reality is Miami is not even really a fraction of the size of New York or San Francisco to this day. From an investor's perspective, though, I think that's okay because it's all about relative supply and demand, right? So there are enough talented people and companies here to find, call it fund returning winners. And there aren't enough investors here where it's uber competitive. And so we'll probably do a deal or two a year down here, you know, alongside the seven or eight deals that we do amongst, you know, the rest of the United States. Any deals outside of Class Wallet that you can share in South Florida or in Florida at all that you're excited about? Yeah, we've done a couple down here. So there, there and one is the ones that start here. And so we invested in a company called Early Day. Uh, CEO Emma Harris uh, moved down here also during the pandemic. She's been here for a couple of years. We invested in that company's seed round. I sit on the board, you know, once they were firmly down here. And then there's a couple that unsurprisingly like us moved down here. Uh, one is Teal, led by David Fano. The other is Upstream, led by Alex Taub, both New Yorkers who moved down to Miami. We'll take them. <laughs> yeah, great. More than welcome. Uh, Tom, anything else you want to add today? No, I think we covered everything on my list. David, anything you want to want to add? No, this was this was fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was great to see you again. I'm sure we'll see you. We'll be down in Miami in a few weeks. So hope to catch you then. And thank you so much for everything. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks, David. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, Sax. We will be uh, at we have a tech event every year in Miami, along with our Basel. We're really on the beginning of our Basel, and we have that coming up. When is, what's the date? Oh, it'll that? be December 6th this year. December 6th. Yep. And we're having that at uh, Betters. Or that's the night after. So we're having our Art Basel event with our partners Emerge on December 6th. And then on December 7th, we're hosting a panel at the Better headquarters where there's a, a full boxing gym, golf simulator, and a full gym. We're hosting a, a sports and athletes and technology panel that night. Yeah. So to founder and investors, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, wrapping up, you know, again, if you're a founder and you're interested in funding or looking to start raising money, uh, go to floridafunders.com. We have a very simple application process. Take you five or 10 minutes. You'll get, get in our process and be happy to take a look at you. And if you're an investor and you want to get more involved in the uh, early stage tech ecosystem, floridafunders.com. We've got all kinds of great stuff out there in terms of blogs and uh, uh, content and, uh, and, and companies up that are looking for investment that you can purview. And we've done all the heavy lifting and take a look at them and decide if you want to invest or not. We'd love to have you join us on our journey. Absolutely. David, great to see you. Tom, thank you. Thanks, guys. See you guys. Have a great day. See ya. Thanks for spending your time with Skin in the Game VC today. If you want to learn more about investing in early stage tech like a venture capitalist, be sure to visit the Florida Funders website at floridafunders.com. Join our angel network at no cost and get access to Florida Funders VC vetted investment opportunities in the next great breakout tech companies.